What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back. Today's episode is going to be brought to you by Mystery Ranch, built for the mission. And if you haven't been rocking a Mystery Ranch backpack for your fire career or your hunting game or any of other of those load-bearing necessary adventures, well, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, you heard me. <laughs> Anyways, they, aside, well, aside from making uh, arguably the most comfortable, the most durable, and the most badass wildland fire packs in the game, they make a ton of other load-bearing essentials. And now, they also have some new accessories out there. You should swing over there if you're looking for a new radio uh, holder for your pack. Yeah, because no one likes uh, smacking their elbow, their funny bone on their radio. But they made the TalkBox 5000, and it's a pretty cool little piece of equipment, and it's affordable. So, clips on to, well, basically wherever the hell you want to put it on your Mystery Ranch fire gear. So, go check it out. It's pretty neat. And while you're at it, you might as well go uh, check out the Big Ernie pack as well. Now, I actually uh, just happened to be rocking one of those for my day job with BurnBot and uh, rock that thing while I'm doing prescribed fire. And it's actually really comfortable and it kicks ass and it brings me back to a little bit of hell attack days because it is most definitely designed for air operations like helic attack or repelling or smoke jumping. It's pretty badass. Go check those out too. And while you're at it on the website, you might as well go check out the Mystery Ranch Backbone series. Yeah. Whole uh, Mystery Ranch crew got together and because they actually give a shit about the uh, boots on the ground, they decided to make uh, it worthwhile for you to go over there and check out some of their stories and also submit your own story for a thousand dollar scholarship called the Mystery Branch Backbone Series Scholarship. So if you like what you see and you think you can add to the storytelling game, well, go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check out the Backbone Series and submit your story because there is a $1,000 scholarship up for grabs for your professional development. Once again, go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check it out. The Anchor Point Podcast is also going to be caffeinated by none other than our premier coffee sponsor, and that's going to be Hotshot Brewery. It's kick-ass coffee for kick-ass cause, and a portion of the proceeds will always go back to the Wildland Firefighter Foundation. Yeah, so if you're looking for some good coffee or some of the tools of the trade to get your morning started off right, or a whole slew of wildland firefighter-themed apparel, look no further than Hotshot Brewing. You can go over there and check it out and get all your tools of the trade and help support a good cause at the same time. Go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com and check out all of the tools of the trade to get your morning to start off right and all of the apparel and some kick-ass coffee for a kick-ass cause. Go check them out. And last but not least, the Anchor Point Podcast is, well, they're not sponsored by, they're not brought to you by, but it is one of those close relationships I have with Bethany over there at the American Wildfire Experience. And uh, yeah, I just want to show her some love for as long as I possibly can because I believe in her cause and I believe in her mission and she's got some rad stuff going on. And if you don't know what the American Wildfire Experience is, well, they house the Smoky Generation. And I know for a fact, a lot of people out there have seen that rolling around. It's pretty freaking awesome. What it is, is basically a digital storytelling platform uh, telling the story of wildland fire. There's quite literally, there's there has to be like over 250 of these stories out there now, but it's preserving the legacy of the uh, folks in the field and the story of wildland fire. And some of these stories even date back to the 1940s. It's pretty freaking bitching. So if you want a little history lesson, or if you want to sign up for the Smoky Generation grant program, if you got a compelling story and you're telling the story of wildland fire through the lens of a camera, a 
video camera or a still camera through a blog, through some animations. There was this one dude out there who made uh, We Move Mountains with Spoons and it's freaking kick ass. And they're a Smoky Generation grant recipient. Yeah. Sky's the limit. Tell the story. It's freaking awesome. Anyways, if you want to find out more, go over to www.wildfireexperience.org and you can check it all out. Once again, www.wildfireexperience.org. Bethany, you have a kick-ass organization over there. Keep it up. podcast do not reflect the views and opinions of the United States government, the Department of the Interior, the Department of Defense, the Department of Agriculture, the United States Forest Service, the Bureau of Land Management, National Park Service, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, or any private, municipal, county, or state firefighting organization, any law enforcement agency, any medical provider, or any contractor employed by any federal agency. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back. Hope everybody's doing well. So today on the episode, we are going to be talking about pulling our heads collectively out of our uh, rectums. Yeah, especially when it comes to the whole, uh, I don't know, removing the hundred plus years of hazardous vegetation from the landscape and cleaning up our forests, either through mechanical means, through hand thinning, through prescribed fire, all that jazz. And we're going to be talking today about confronting the wildfire crisis. I don't know if uh, anybody's heard of this. Uh, maybe some of you folks on the Stanislaus have, uh, probably because you're a big part of it. But uh, yeah, we're uh, going to be talking all about the Designated Landscapes project from the Forest Service. Yeah, it's uh, the Landscape Investments. They have a 10-year plan basically to tr- like treat upwards of 16 million acres, I wanted to say. And it's a huge project and it's a huge investment. And a lot of it came from the uh, Bipartisan Infrastructure Act. So we're going to be talking today with uh, the Forest PIO off the Stanislaus. And he is actually going to be... Uh, telling us all about the program that they have and how that they are kind of like the Stanislaus is kind of like the test pilot for this forestry versus forest resiliency in these designated landscapes projects. It's pretty impressive what they're doing and they're burning and treating a lot of land. And quite frankly, in my opinion, I think it's needed. It's about time we pulled our heads out of our asses. So without further ado, I would like to introduce my good friend, Ben Kossel, and he is the forest PIO off the Stanislaus National Forest. Y'all know the drill. Welcome to the Anchor Point. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Anchor Point podcast. Today on the show, we got some uh, representation from the Stanislaus National Forest. We got our, is it a regional PIO or forest PIO? Forest PIO, forest, forest public PIO. affairs officer. Yeah. Forest public affairs officer by the name of Ben Kossel. What's up, dude? How you doing? I'm doing great, man. How are you doing? Excellent. <clears throat> Thrilled to be here. Yeah, I'm pumped to have you on the show because uh, a lot of people don't know, and I don't know why this isn't getting like national attention, but you're into some pretty hefty RX prescriptions right now, and it's fucking awesome, like the scope and scale of it. it, it like why this isn't national news is like, I have no idea. I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. So we literally, as of today, right, we lost our burn window and- um, so we're wrapping up at about 4,100 acres burnt. 
um, since May 25th. And, and not only did we, were we able to burn those 4,000 acres, we, because of all the resources that we had available to us, we were able to prep an additional 5,000 acres um, on some of our, our units up by our Beardsley Lake area so that when fall rolls around, our fall burn windows open up, we are going to be ready to just light those up. Start putting torch to ground, huh? Exactly. Dude, that's awesome. Prep work done. Here we go. See, that's the way it needs to be done. I'm, I'm a huge proponent of putting more fire on the ground. Now, not this fair disclaimer here. This is not going to work everywhere. This is specifically for fire adapted ecosystems. That's where it belongs, right? So right. let's get that out of the way. But I am a huge proponent of throwing more fire on the ground, especially when we have a hundred years of hundred plus years of, I want to say, I don't want to use the term mismanagement, but I'd rather say playing God with nature's garbage disposal ever since the 10 AM policy implementation back in, what was that? 1910? Yeah. 1910. Yeah. So this aggressive strategy has caused a huge accumulation of fuels and well, what does fire like to burn? Well, it, big surprise. It's fucking fuel. So. <laughs> yeah. And so I'll take that actually a step further um, on the stand. We, we actually refer to it as a fire dependent ecosystem, right? It's not just a fire adapted. It's a fire dependent ecosystem. This area has evolved to be dependent on fire, whether that's, you know, indigenous cultures setting fire on the ground through their cultural practices, or that's the lightning strike fires, right? We have on our mid elevations, we have a fire return interval. I'm getting a little bit geeky on you. That's all right. But a fire return interval of about every, you know, five to seven years in some of our mid elevations. And, you know, you're probably looking at like 10, 10 or so years in some of our lower elevations. And then you have a kind of a, a stand clearing event every hundred years. So this is an ecosystem that is dependent on fire. And we have excluded fire from that ecosystem for far too long. And you're not just the only ecosystem that it's been excluded from. I mean, these are like hundreds of ecosystems across the United States. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Across all of the United States. I mean, it, it, like, I think you and I were talking about this earlier, right? The, the decision to suppress all fires, all times by 10, 10 a.m. It is an understandable reaction to what happened in the 1910 fire. I mean, you can't burn 3 million acres in three days and not have knee jerk. Every fire is put out immediately sort of a reaction. That's completely understandable. But as our science has gotten better at understanding this, and as we're just seeing the consequences of some of these devastating fires, you know, people like my forest supervisor, Jason Kiken are saying, there's got to be a different way. And we've got the science to prove it. So we, a couple of years ago, we started doing all the work on a, on a 55,000 acre project, primarily focused along California highway 108 corridor. And so for folks who are familiar with the area, that's like heading up toward Pinecrest Lake from Sonora, the city of Sonora up to Pinecrest Lake. And you've got all these communities built um, within the wildland urban interface. And a lot of them, one road in one road out. So you've got overgrown forests, you know, egress, ingress is, is pretty terrible. You're just looking for a tragedy. You're just waiting for a tragedy to happen. So we said, we started working on this. We got the NEPA decisions or we did all the NEPA work. we signed our very first decision, got it signed, the record of decision done March of last year. And then we had subsequently two more uh, records of decision. And then just as we, finally um, got the third record of decision signed and published. The Forest Service came out with the wildfire crisis land, landscape or wildfire crisis strategy. And in that part of that strategy was the identification of what they call 10 initial landscapes 
10 landscapes that have been, been identified across the Western United States for this additional treatment work. So we went from 55 or 50, 55,000 acres to all of a sudden having a footprint of 245,000 acres that were going to be treated. Um, and that's through all of the treatment um, tools in our toolbox, right? The, the hand thinning, the mechanical thinning, the prescribed fire, because ultimately that's the goal. The goal is to put fire back on the ground in these ecosystems with the primary purposes of reducing the risk um, to our communities and, pr and protecting that critical infrastructure. Like so many people don't realize that there are 17 miles of wooden ditches and flumes that deliver water to, Tuol to all of Tuolumne County and it runs through the forest. So if that critical infrastructure were to go out, we're out of water. We have no water. I think the, the utility district, I think I read, has something like three days worth of emergency supply. That's the only rations that they have. That's it. That's it. No yeah. shit. So yep. yeah, this is, uh, I mean, that's another thing that people don't understand about fire in general is the long-term consequences, right? Like not a lot of people that this know that this infrastructure comes from somewhere, right? Well, when you go to a, a watershed like the Stanislaus, right? you're supplying a lot of water and a lot of, a lot of other shit to a lot of people. And people don't realize that it's a long-term fallout. So if you have a, a hyper destructive catastrophic wildfire rip through these areas, you're cutting off a lot more. And people only think about like wildfire suppression costs, right? They see a price tag attached to that, that it's on the sit rep even. Right. So right. when whoever reports on it is like, Hey, this is how much this fire costs. Well, is that an accurate number? because now we're talking about infrastructure damage. We're talking about landslides. We're talking about like all of the primary, secondary, tertiary, and quaternary effects of wildfires, like these destructive wildfires that we've been getting. Uh, no one talks about that, the true cost. Right. No, the true cost. And I mean, and then there's also the, the intangibles, right? The, um, so when we first moved out here, we moved to the community of Mount Ranch um, and the Mountain Ranch was heavily devastated by the Butte fire. And that community has never recovered, right? The, the people who just came back to their, to their charred homes and landscapes and just went, no, nope, I can't do it. Just wash your I hands. I cannot come back to this. And that, yeah, they just walked away, right? They, yeah. they got their insurance settlements and they, they walked away, um, never to live in an area that would be threatened by fire again. So that community, like its spirit's gone. I mean, they're fighting, they're fighting to get it back. And that's just one of how many communities across the state of California who have had exactly that impact. So you have like the actual dollar cost, but then you have the cost associated to, to human lives, to communities destroyed, to all, all the, all the things that you can't put on a spreadsheet that, that are, you know, a huge part of this whole thing we call human existence. Oh yeah. And it, that's another thing too, is like, it, don't get me wrong. Everybody wants their slice of heaven. Right. But then again, you have to live with the realities of you're not in suburbia, even though fire is affecting suburbia, whether that be directly with the wooey or, you know, with smoke impacts from, from fires. Right. But when you get out into the wooey, the hard wooey, I'm talking like your paradises, your Greenvilles, your any, just throw a dart at the Western States, any of those small one way in one way out slice of heaven places on the map, 
this is a reality that we have to live with and we have to do something proactive in this these this regime of over a hundred years of aggressive fire suppression and then also on top of that the lack of fire use uh the lack of prescribed fire the lack of uh thinning and logging and grazing and the litany of other shit that goes into this i mean we've kind of caused this problem for ourselves so that's where you're on the show here to talk about yeah. this project is because we finally pulled our heads out of our asses and we're trying something yeah no a hundred percent and you know, it was a glorious sight uh, a couple of weeks ago, me riding up the 108, pulling into fire camp. And I've got like 15 hot shot buggies and 12 engines. I think at one point at our height, we had 600 firefighters on the ground at a little place we called Little Sweden up there on the 108 with a full-fledged fire camp. You know, anybody who's been on a wildfire would have immediately recognized it for what it was. Caterers, porta potties, you know, the AT&T emergency cell towers, the whole nine yards seeing those guys out there participating in morning brief, doing the information brief, you know, my portion of the, of the, uh, of the brief, I was part of the, uh, the IMT on that one and the work, just the work that all of those guys and gals were able to get out there and do and put fire on the ground. Um, it, I, I, I cannot tell you how overwhelmed I was, um, by the outpouring of support from our community these people that get it right. These people that understand that, like, there's no such thing as good smoke. We're trying to stay away from that messaging, but a little bit of smoke now <laughs> is way better than a lot of smoke come August, September. Pick your battles. So, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and they, they, they love it. They love what we've been doing. Um, I think my forest supervisor, we were actually talking about this this morning that, all told, we had about a thousand unique individuals on this um, prescribed fire. And so the interesting thing, Brandon, about this prescribed fire, right, is going back to what you were just talking about, about pulling our heads out of our asses, is part of what we were tasked to do with this on the stand was break the RX system, right? Right now, RX's prescribed fire is still considered a project. What are all those things that get in the way? What are the policies that get in the way? If we are going to put fire on the ground at the pace and the scale that the Forest Service has said that it's going to with this wildfire crisis strategy, then we have got to figure out a more effective way to put that fire on the ground. So part of what we were asked to do was find all those things, get them up to the Washington office, figure out what they are, and let's figure out either A, how to get around them, uh, and and you know more, more broadly, how to change them so that when, when the, when the Eldorado or the Sierra or, you know, or, or the Sam and Chalice, they, when they go do this, those roadblocks aren't in the way and they can put the amount of fire on the ground that they need to, to actually have that impact that we're looking for to try and start mitigating some of the worst impacts of these catastrophic fires that we've been seeing. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, this, that's another thing too, is like, this is kind of paving the way for not just exclusively putting fire on the ground. Yeah. You're trying to like, find a way to streamline all these processes to put fire on the ground, you know, re reintroduce nature's garbage disposal to mother nature here. But it's more complicated than that because it's also probably like a, a, an effect of that would probably be streamlining the process for people to get in the forest to do mastication work, fuels reduction, uh, lop and scatter, all the other shit that needs to go into this because it's not just like, oh, throw fire on ground, 
Congratulations. Good day. There's a lot of shit that people don't realize, especially the, I mean, the fire operators and that are listening to this, they obviously are going to have a lot more knowledge of it than Joe blow public who's listening into this. So what about that effect? I mean, like, is that going to be yeah. streamlining it for them as well? No, a hundred percent. And, and, and like, yeah, for the, for the non-fire operators out there, by the time you actually get to a point where you're tipping torches and putting fire on the ground, that's like your fifth or sixth entry into a unit. Like going back to exactly what you just said, there's so much prep work that goes into getting a burn unit ready to tip torches. And it is that mastication. It is that hand thing. It is putting in those hand lines. It is making the containment lines. It's all those things. The communication um, saying, Hey, we're going to do this. Exactly. Right. There's, there's an entire overhead apparatus um, that comes into effect and, and, and becomes part of the equation when you're doing this. But, but to kind of get at your point, that um that is exactly what the the Stanislaw landscape project is about too is figuring out those those processes and what are those tools that we already have so that we can not only put good fire on the ground or tip torches and put fire on the ground but how do we find those contractors who have the heavy masticators to go out there and do that 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 mechanical thinning that we need done where are those crews that are out there that can go out there and do the, that hand thinning when all of our hot shots are on a fire up on the Klamath, not available to us. So how do we get those crews um, out there to be able to do some of that hand thinning work? And, and what we've really come to and what we're really leveraging is partnerships, um, is working with organizations like there's an organization called Yosemite Stanislaus Solution. They came out of the 2013 Rim Fire. And what that's, that's environmental environmentalists. So you have the um, Central Sierra Environmental Resource Center working alongside SPI, Southern Pacific Industries, which for those who don't know, that's one of the largest logging industries here in the Sierras. Um, These people definitely don't see quite eye to eye, but they they're, realize they're, the they're not on the same risk. page. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, but, but they came together after the rim fire and said, look, if we don't figure out a way to put our differences aside, there's not going to be a force to argue over. So they really started focusing on what were their commonalities. And then out of that, they now have 36 different organizations um, that are a combination of environmental groups and, and industry professionals working together. Now, one of those within that is the, the county of Tuolumne. Um, and with that, we were able to utilize a, a partnership tool called a master stewardship agreement whereby there's kind of a, a one per one dollar um, uh, match. So the Forest Service and Tuolumne County go into this agreement, this master stewardship agreement, and we let's say we give them $5 million for a project. Um, Tuolumne County then has to come back and either dollar for dollar or in-kind returns match those funds that we were given. It's not an exact thing. There's, there's all sorts of lefts and rights. And, you know, it gets way, I'm oversimplifying it for the point of, of this conversation, but, but hopefully folks get the point, right? That they're, that Tuolumne County has as much skin in this game as the forest does when we're doing this work. Now, because they manage that, that master stewardship agreement, they're responsible for awarding the contracts. And it's just, it's not rocket science for anybody to understand that it's easier for a county to execute a contract than it is for a federal agency. A lot less red tape. I mean, but that goes with any, any like big bloated bureaucracy. I mean, you can throw, I mean, sure. The forest service is huge, right? That's a lot of people. Yep. That's a lot of moving things. It's, it's not a very easy ship to pivot, right? 
the Bureau of Land right. Management, they're much smaller, but still you can't pivot that thing as fast. But when you get into these county and municipalities, I mean, if you're using them as a contracting vehicle to get your stuff done and it's mutually beneficial, then why the hell aren't we doing that? Yeah, no, hundred percent. You know, and for a lot of, a lot of the counties, and this is definitely, you know, things that we're working on as well. It, it might just be that they just don't have the financial resources, right? So there are a lot of other partnership tools that we have, like there's a good neighbor partnership agreement and, you know, I know a little bit about partnerships. It's definitely not my bread and butter, um, but we have these different tools. And the biggest reason I've heard some counties say that they can't go some of these larger ones is exactly that. They just don't have the financial resources. They don't have the tax base. They don't, you know, whatever, whatever the, <clears throat> whatever the, the issue is, they, they just don't have it. One of the interesting outcomes of, of the, of this master stewardship agreement with Tuolumne County um, is that they've been able to leverage that. Um, and, and it's been a major um, check, if you will, for them. And when they go out and they apply for these grants, uh, when they go out and they apply for community wildfire defense grants, or they, you know, all of the different grants that are available either through Cal Fire or the state, the fact that they have the backing of the United States Forest Service, the Stanislaw National Forest with them, Grants are awarded based on points, right? A, a, a reviewing agency takes a look at it and says, okay, your application scores this many, that you're up, so on and so forth. That's a huge boost to their points when folks are looking at, at, at awarding those grants. So they're able to qualify. You know, I, I tend to think of it as that they are punching way above their weight when it comes to, and, and God bless them. They have been working that. They have, a, a, they have received so many millions of dollars um, to in, in this program to, to supplement and to work with the work that we're doing. So the amount of money that they've been able to secure has just been amazing. Oh yeah. And then it's compounded by more money out there, uh, with like the BIL, the bipartisan, bipartisan infrastructure law, you've got local grants, you got state grants, you got all this avenues for like getting this done. And you guys, I was looking, I was reading through the, uh, wildfire crisis landscape investments, uh, the controlling wildfire crisis that, doc, which I'll link in the show notes, uh, because this is an amazing document by the way. And it's not just you. I mean, I'm looking at like all of these landscapes and there's what one, two, three, four, there's 21, 21, but the ones that are listed on this initial page, I mean, the acreage on here is astounding. You guys have 300,000 acres that you need to treat over the next 10 years. Right. But the total acreage on here, it's a lot, man. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're in the millions. Yeah. Like there's multiple there's, yeah, tens there's of stuff. millions almost. Right. Yeah, exactly. No, we so, are, we're over 10 million acres easily. Yeah. And, and, and back to your point too, right? Like uh, all this comes or the, the initial funding seeds for this is from the bipartisan, bipartisan infrastructure law. And then there was an additional wave of funding in the uh, inflation reduction act IRA. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where a lot of the funding for, for these projects is coming from. I mean, the, as we see it, the message is clear, right? Not only has our chief, but Congress has said, we are giving you money to treat lands, to reduce the risk of catastrophic wildfires to these communities, go do it and succeed. And, and that's, those are our marching orders. And that's what we are, we are doing everything in our power to execute on. And thus far, I'd say we are doing a a pretty darn good job on it. Oh yeah. Well, that's the thing too. I mean, this is like such an ambitious fuels treatment plan. It's actually, it's kind of mind boggling actually. So what there's the best way I think I could put it is I was talking to uh, JK boots. I was on one of their podcasts and uh, 
I was saying like, listen, man, there's, there's 640 million acres of federal lands managed by the federal government out there, right? Between the forest service and the uh, department of interior. Well, guess what? All of those pretty much have some wildfire risk into it. Some are going to be greater. Some are going to be less than others. Right now, if you're right. to set up on top of a mountain, say, I don't know, whatever mountain you want to pick and look and you're put that mountain right in the center of that 640 million acres and look in a 360 degree fucking view around you, you would never see the end of that amount of land. That is a lot. Yeah, exactly. And it's yeah, no surprise, exactly. man. That we, that, that's the thing that I'm getting at though, is like, we need all the help we can get. And with a plan that's already penciled in, it's already there. The funding for the, for these landscapes is already there. I'm, it, you'd have to be naive to say that this is a problem we can hire our way out of. But like you just said there, we're taking all of our collaborators. We're taking all the boots on the ground. We're taking everybody that it can possibly take to treat these lands. And that said something, man, because I, I, I realize that it's going to take all hands on deck to treat the amount of land that we need to treat. Yeah, no, I mean, a hundred percent. There's, there is just no way, you know, my, again, I keep going back to kind of the words of my forest supervisor, right? He's like, his whole point has been on this one too. He's like, even if we could do this work by ourselves, which there's just no way in hell we could, we all get that. He's like, but why would we even want to, right? We need to engage our stakeholders. We need to engage, engage our collaborators. We need to bring those people on board because this is their land too. The, the forest service for, you know, had had kind of a little bit of a history back then of like, just kind of being like, well, Hey, we're the federal government. We can do this deuces. Um, and would go off and they would go do the work. And we, 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 we've, at least on the Stanis law, and I'm, I'm fairly certain that this is, you know, across the agency have said like, that's just not the way to work anymore. If we're going to get this work done, we cannot do this alone. We do not have the resources. We do not have the dollars. We don't have everything. We need everybody. Right. So, you know, just thinking about it, like one of our major partner groups and as part of that, that YSS, the Yosemite Stanislaus Solutions is an organization called Tuolumne River Trust. And we work with them to put in some of the, the, the pre-hand lines, the, the, the containment lines. They, they have crews from whether it's the um, like AmeriCorps or Job Corps, those, those, those young kids coming out in the summer, they put those crews to work putting in those hand lines um, prior to us going in, you know, that following that coming fall or whatever to do, to put, put, to actually put that fire on the ground. So it's, it's increasing our capacity because you don't have to, you don't have to, I mean, just turn on the news and, and you'll, you'll hear a story about how understaffed the forest service is. Right. So we got to, we have to increase our capacity and we have to operate we have to treat these lands at the pace and the scale that the wildfires that are consuming the Western United States are burning. You've got Dixie at almost a million acres. Like, can you even begin to think for a minute of, of a force being able to treat a million acres? No, we can't. We're, we're not there. But, you know, if we're going to do 300 and, you know, 300 some odd thousand acres over the 10 years, I mean, if I'm just doing some quick math, well, like we need to probably be doing 30,000 acres that's a lot of, of treatment. Yeah. Of treatment, treatment period. So, it doesn't matter if yeah. it's like I, anything to prep a unit, anything to stack sticks, burn piles, yeah. put fire on, on the ground as far as like a broadcast burn, mastication, all that stuff. It, that's still treatment. Right. God. And all of it is getting it to the point where we can burn. Um, 
we, we were talking earlier um, about the fact that, you know, like I've had a thousand unique firefighters and overhead people out here on this fire. If we'd been doing this right for the last hundred years, it, it, it shouldn't need those numbers, right? Low intensity fire on, on a unit. I mean, that's something, you know, a, a crew and an engine could probably handle um, if we we're doing it correctly, if we'd been doing it the way we were supposed to, if we didn't have all that forced, um, forced stuff and forced floor buildup, if we didn't have all the snags out there, all the hazard, you know, all the stuff that, that we talked about that goes into prepping a unit. If that stuff had just been, been taken care of correctly over the course of forest service history, <laughs> this would be a problem, right? That we wouldn't need as many people at, but we're not there. We, oh, yeah. we need the people we need to put. Uh, you know, a, a good friend of mine on the Shasta T, she, she tends to refer to it as like all hands, all lands, Bingo. because not only, not only is this, you know, about like us as collaborators, um, as the forest service, working with our partners, all this stuff to get this work done, all these homes that are built into the, in, into the wooey and, and everything is like, they got to do their part too. It, it's not just, definite- we can. Yeah. There's a definite personal accountability thing, especially for the folks living in the Louie, that slice of heaven. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. You got to take so care. We've, we've got to work with our, our state, you know, our um, state and private lands people. We need to work with our state agencies um, to get to those private landowners and help them with creating their defensible space. It's all well and good. If I'm going through and I'm treating all these acres and I'm, I'm making a, a fire break around the community of Cedar Ridge, if it punches through a private lands hole, that community is still in trouble. Oh yeah. So yeah, we, we all have to work together to address this problem. And, you know, I, I'm making the point, I'm screaming from the mountaintops that the Stanislaw is well underway in, in, in starting this process and getting this work done. And, 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 and we're not alone, right? The, like we, like we said, there's 21 landscapes in the Western United States that are doing this work all in varying degrees of, uh, of where they are um, as far as we you know how far underway they are. We've, we've been at work now. We've been doing this since, since last year when we got our first record or our third record of record of decision signed. So we are, we just started year two of our 10 year, um, uh, um, commitment. And you guys are doing a hell of a job. And that's another thing too. I kind of want to point out as well with like the, the severity and the scope of like the severity of the fuels buildup, but also the scope of work, right? you guys are managing 300,000 acres, right? I mean, it's going to say different, but you've already treated some. So a little, call it a little bit less, right? Than the 300,000 acres that you guys need to treat. You guys are already breaking the system and trying to figure out like where it's weak. That's based off of 300,000 acres. Now, if you look to the front range of Colorado, they've got 3.5 million acres of designated lands to be treated. Yep, exactly. that just gives you an idea of how complicated this shit is and how long it's yeah, going to no. actually take. A hundred percent. 10 years. I mean, at least when we're thinking about it, at least when we're talking about it, right. 10 years, that's just the initial investment, right? That's, that's the drop in the bucket to start this process. We have a hundred years to undo and we're not going to undo that in 10 years. Will we be on a really good road at the end of 10 years? Hell yes, we will be. But no one um, believes that that we can just do this work for 10 years, call it a day, go home. We don't ever have to worry about wildfires ever again. We're done. We solved the wildfire crisis. No, no one believes that. Everyone knows that, you know, again, going back to that fire return interval. So we, we burnt, you know, around the, the town of Strawberry and we burnt in dry meadows. 
we all know we're going to have to go back in there yep. in five years, five, seven years and burn it again. But now we've treated it. Now we've done the work so that we can go back in there and just do that low intensity broadcast burn with far fewer resources and handle it at an affordable uh, rate that makes sense to the American taxpayer. Right. Um, that's, I mean, yeah, we're all using taxpayer dollars or using taxpayer funds to get this work done. And, and man, Brendan, I'll tell you, I'd much rather see it being used in a proactive fashion than the millions that we spend on suppression efforts and obviously throw everything we've got at suppression when we're at that point. But if we could throw a couple million at preventative work, that would make my heart happy. It's a hard sell though. And this is the conversation that always comes up when I'm trying to explain like how much it's going to cost versus like suppression versus prevention, right? An ounce of prevention, it's worth its weight in gold. You can't, I'm, I'm stuck on that, right? Yeah. Is it expensive? But you're in the business of selling what ifs because typically like your voting demographic doesn't give a shit about wildfire and it sucks. They don't give a shit about it until it's like, impacting them with smoke or their favorite national forest is like burning to a crisp. Yeah. That's when they care. But for the most part, it's, it's a far away problem and it's not their direct problem. Right? So how do we wrap the messaging around this whole package saying, Hey, fire is good. Good fire is good. Right? Why would you right. want to have a Caldor or a Dixie or an August complex or a hog fire? This is like generational damage because the fuel loading is so extreme on some of these landscapes that it burns so hot that it burns the, the microbiome in the soil. It sterilizes yeah. the landscape down to the mycelium, like past the mycelium layer and like nothing will right. grow back. It's generational damage, man. Yeah. No, not only is it generational damage, but let's talk about like thinking about my forest, right? Um, you have Hetch Hetchy, Hetch Hetchy Reservoir. That Hetchy Reservoir flows down through the Tuolumne River. The Tuolumne River is on my forest. That Hetch Hetchy, that's the primary water source for the city of San Francisco. Boom. If the Tuolumne River um, is all of a sudden degraded because of a wildfire, you know, all of the different things that can happen to a watershed because of a wildfire, and all of a sudden Hetch Hetchy's non-operational or just, you know, has to spend extra time purifying. I mean, like whatever, whatever the, you know, the consequence is, Dear San Francisco, you're having an impacted water system all of a sudden. And those are those so, secondary and third or third effect fallout damages that no one ever thinks about. Yeah, exactly. You don't, you don't see it. Everybody sees the fire, right? They, we see the, the, the heavy timber burning in the night sky. And, and that is what we all think about, but there's, I mean, it's why it's called an ecosystem. There are so many other components to, to a forested ecosystem, to a desert ecosystem than just what you can immediately see. There are three major uh, water sources that run through the Stanislaw. You have the McCallamy, you have the Stanislaw, and you have the Tuolumne. And that's kind of also how we're divided on our ranger districts. Um, you also have the major California highways of Highway 4, 108 and 120, you know, but you know, the romantic in me likes to think we're divided by the rivers. I don't like to think of the fact that we're divided by roads. So. I, I tend to think of, a, of us in rivers. Any one of those water sources, those watersheds is, is impacted by fire. And that's going to have literally downstream consequences to communities in, across the state of California. Oh, 100%. Um, we, have, um, we have electrical systems, uh, right? That, that, that Hetch Hetchy is also a power producer. Um, 
So power that goes to San Francisco. If we have transmission lines issues in the forest, right? Transmission lines get destroyed or something like that. All of a sudden, San Francisco's out of power. I mean, there are all of these impacts and you can't come up now for Memorial Day, spend your weekend out on Pinecrest Lake because Pinecrest Lake doesn't exist anymore because a fire just tore through it and it's not there. We, we have all of these individuals that live in, live in an urban interface and they rely on the fact that a, a wild interface is in their backyard, right? Two hours up the highway and they're in a wild place. Not if it burns, not, not if we don't have it anymore. So it becomes incumbent upon all of us. If you love public lands, you need to care about this. This is going to have an impact for all of us. 100%, man. And that's another thing too, is like people don't realize that a lot of these communities are heavily dependent on tourism as well. Yep. That's 100%. That if no one wants to go. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the bulk of it, right? I mean, this is how people make their money. That's how they pay their mortgages. That's how they pay their fucking taxes. This tax dollars goes back into the land conservation, right? Being good right. stewards, right? That you're trying to do, implement these plans to be good stewards. And it's like, people don't understand this. And it's, it, it blows my mind, man. It blows my mind. Seriously. So we had a, a pretty, we had a pretty heavy um, snow and, and, and rain season this year up here in the Sierras. and portions of highway 120 specifically the portions leading into the northern entrance of yosemite national park the roadway just fell away and they had to keep that entrance to the park closed for about six weeks longer than normal and all of those communities up the 120 groveland you know all those places and even um sonora the city of sonora that is used to that traffic coming through on their way up to yosemite the 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 hotel taxes, the people spending money at the bars, at the restaurants, you know, all of that gone, gone on top of the already degraded um, tax base that we had because we just got out of two years of COVID restrictions. So talk about a one, two punch to a small community um, losing that tax base. I mean, it's, it's back open traffic's flowing again, right? And everybody's happy and, and, and we're good, but, but that's exactly it. Those are the sorts of impacts. A six-week impact might not sound like so much, but to a, 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 a town like Sonora or a county like Tuolumne, it's huge. Oh, it's yeah. absolutely huge. You take the Iron Horse out there in Groveland, you know, they, they can't. They're struggling. You know, they're, they're, they're going to make it. They're going to pull through. But there was definitely a moment there where they didn't think so. Oh yeah, man. I mean, say, but this, this, this narrative, this story is kind of replicated across every like small destination mountain town across the United States. Anything that's been right. impacted with fire, like look at Frenchman Reservoir. I forget what fire it was, but, uh, that I want to say that no, it wasn't the Dixie. Anyways, whatever fire that was, I'm sure someone will correct me in the comments of this, but that <laughs> fire, whatever fire it was, it burnt completely fucking around Frenchman Lake. That sucks. That super yeah. sucks, man. And now it's devastating the communities. Like, be, I, I can't even imagine what it would look like for uh, uninsurability. I mean, look at just oh like the God. State Farm thing. Like, it, <laughs> State Farm pulled out of the state of California. They, they will not insure. So did Allstate. And Allstate too, yeah. Yeah, Allstate too. I mean, I think most of us in this area are, are probably left with, was it the, the fair plan now? I mean, mm -hmm. like that's, that's what we're kind of getting to is... That's our only, our option. You know, I live in Sonora. I live in this community. I love this environment. It's getting harder and harder and harder every year to live here. Not, I mean, 
we, you and I were talking about the fact that the Sierra Nevada is a fire dependent ecosystem. So anybody that lives in this environment who's been here for more than a year, they understand that. They know that. They they know that there's a certain amount of risk that comes to it. So, and we all live in Cal or a whole bunch, you know, those of us who live in California, we live with some level of risk all the time, whether it's an earthquake in the Bay Area or a wildfire out here or you know, whatever, whatever the 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 issue is, all of us that live in California live with some level of risk. That's not what's making so many people leave these small towns. It's exactly what you just said. They can't get insurance or their insurance is so astronomical. There's no way in hell they can afford it. You know, people paying six, seven, eight thousand dollars a year for homeowners insurance. That's, that's untenable. Yeah, that's, that's that is untenable. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, though. I mean, we kind of put ourselves in this situation, but I mean, gaining widespread adoption to fix these fuck ups that we've made for the past hundred and something years, I think it's finally starting to take hold. And your your this project, this three hundred thousand acres of putting good fire back into the landscape, I mean, that's proof, right? Because you wouldn't have no, been able 100%. to do it unless you had some sort of public support. Yeah, and no, hundred percent. I mean, if there's any sort of a of a of a of a silver lining that came out of the Dixie fire. It's the fact, at least, and this is obviously just my opinion is the fact that that smoke made it to DC and made it to, to, to New York city and people back East finally went, Holy shit, this might actually be a problem that we all have to take a look at. And we started actually seeing some action, right? We actually started seeing some movement. That's where you get the, you know, why we have all the funding for this work in the bipartisan infrastructure law and why we have some of the additional funding in the inflation reduction act is People back east finally started realizing that this is a bigger problem than just a, a Western problem. So we've started working on it. We're starting to do that work. I mean, I'm trying to think, I think in, in just region five in California, something like of the 18 forests that we have out here, something like 10 of them are in a landscape that have a project going on. Um, don't, don't quote me on those numbers. Like, like you said, somebody in the comments will correct me on that, on that exact number or whatever it is, but we, we have, you know, significant amount of, of forests in region five that are now a landscape project showing that commitment to this work from the forest service, from, from, from Congress, that this work needs to be done. And so that work stretches all the way down from the Cleveland in the South to the, to the six rivers and the Klamath and the Shasta Trinity in the North. And just about, you know, for every forest in between has got some sort of an impact. Um, so we're, we're doing it. We're, we're doing this work and we are figuring it out. We are figuring out how to make this system work in such a way that we can, we can actually get our, our force back to a system of what, of, you know, the buzzwords resiliency. And I realize that that's kind of like, you know, become a sustainability bingo word, if you will. Yeah. But the truth of the matter is, is that's exactly what it is. It's building resilient systems. It's building resilient forests so that, you know, we, we, we get five years down the road uh, on our highway one way corridor and God forbid we got a, a lightning strike on one of our treated areas, low intensity fire. That's exactly what we need. That's what we want. I have thin forests so that my, my, you know, my mixed conifer forest isn't fighting for the resources that we're losing because of climate change, right? The drought conditions that we continue to see, the, the bark beetle kill off, all of these things that are impacting our, our trees out there by building these systems to be resilient, they can, you know, knock on wood, weather through the worst, um, some of the worst conditions are the worst that, that mother nature has to throw at them in, in climate change. 
if you're not fighting for resources, you got a much better chance of surviving. Like that's just kind of, you know, basic, basic math. Oh no, hundred percent though. But that term climate change is so damn polarizing. Right. And that's the thing right. that I don't get. I mean, yeah. Do I, am I a climate change denier? No. Am I a climate change uh, believer to some degree? I've seen some pretty gnarly shit on the ground. And do I think that humanity has the capability to change the uh, climate to some degree? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've seen it, right? But what I like yeah. to do if, when I'm trying to like hammer down on this argument of like our forests, our, our resiliency built into our uh, national forests or our landscapes or whatever, I try and remove the climate change term from that argument. Cause now everybody right. has a con like can have a conversation about something that's not polarizing, like real shit that's in front of them. Right now. Yeah. What if we were to replace that messaging with, instead of climate change, which is a factor, but it's one of many factors, right? What if we harbor, yeah. harbor down on the, uh, the, the environmental change, right? Humanity has a direct impact on its environment and everything around us. Right. There's no, yeah. no question about that. You pollute a fucking river. You're going to have dead fish. Cool. That's right. environment change, right? Now, when we have this hundred and something years of uh, environmental change that we had a direct uh, hand in, now we can explain our fight a little bit better without the the politics. That's just my opinion, man. I mean, I mean I think the, you guys are changing the environment right now by putting fire on the ground, right? Right. And, and thinning and thinning the forest to a, a healthy density, right? Stand density that our scientists have said are more appropriate that look more like what that forest looked like 100, 200, 300 years ago by, by best available science. I mean, I think you're right. I feel ultimately for me, a rose by any other name, right? Would smell just as sweet. Things are happening on the landscape. Call it whatever we want to call it. The truth of the matter is, is if we don't react, if we don't do some sort of active management and try to bring these systems back into some form of balance, we're going to have catastrophic results. And whether that's in, you know, large stand die off due to, to bark beetle, or if that's catastrophic wildfire, or if that's trees that just die because of drought stress, that's all happening. Oh yeah. So we have to do something. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, that's, that's it. it's, it's no surprise that back in, you know, predating written history, essentially till like basically colonizing of Americas or any other indigenous culture. And it fucking sucks because if you look at every indigenous culture across the entire globe and where they reside, they've all used fire for ecological benefit yep. period. End of subject. Yep. That's the re yep. reason why we have trees in your neck of the woods and a little bit South of you in the Yosemite area that are predating mm -hmm. written history is because they've been managed. Yeah. They've been managed. No, hundred percent. And we, and we excluded that knowledge, right? We removed that knowledge from the landscape to, to our own detriment. And, that's, that's another one of these things that's baked into this whole landscape project that we're talking about is, is that acknowledgement that that exclusion wasn't, wasn't the best idea. So we are working where we can and not, not everywhere, everywhere has the opportunity for various reasons, but where we can, we are working so closely with our tribes to try and start reintroducing cultural fire alongside prescribed fire in those environments, right? Working I know there's a lot of work being done up on the six rivers with the, with the tribes up there mm -hmm. um, and, and, and wherever people are, are able to uh, wherever possible working with our tribes to start bringing that historical knowledge back to the landscape, right back to the land that they were so, 
that they managed for, for generations, you know? Um, and we took, we took it away. We took it out. And like I said, to our, to our own detriment. So I, I am glad to see that we have pivoted on that and that we are going in the direction back to reintroduction of cultural fire. It needs, it needs to happen and it needs to happen at scale. And I think that's a good yep. thing about the project that you have going down there. I mean, this is a very ambitious goal. I mean, I think the biggest prescribed fire that I've ever been on was maybe like 5,000 acres and that was multiple units, right? Right. Now we're going to 30 a year, 10% of your yeah, I mean, total goal a year, <laughs> grand, 30 grand acres a year, man, of treatment. Of, of treatment, right? I mean, yeah. that's, that's the bottom line. If, if, I mean, again, let's, that's just basic math, right? So I don't, I don't want my poor, um, my, my, my poor resource manager, staff officer to hear this and like have a heart attack. Um, love you, Michael. Don't worry, man. I'm not making any commitments for you or anything of that nature, but just, just basic math tells us that if we're going to treat 305 or whatever the number is acres over 10 years, right. If we're hitting our numbers, we should be looking at an average of about 30,000 acres treated a year right? Through all the different, all the, all the different methodologies that we have at our disposal. So, yeah. well, let's get clear put- about that too. There's no one silver bullet. I mean, yeah. Indigenous burning, yeah. cultural burning, RX fire, all that stuff. I mean, they're, yeah, that's great. It's a safe way to scale treatment safely, right? Using fire. I get that, right. but it's not appropriate in all situations. Like you're not going to be doing no. this shit in the middle of August. <laughs> right. Right. No, exactly. Right. So no. And so yeah, that's, and that's exactly it. We have all of these um, tools in our toolbox that we're utilizing. And so that's like we were talking about, whether it's mechanical thinning through masticators and, and you know, stacking piles and um, all of that or hand thinning or, or just all the different tools that we have um, at our at our disposal. You know, and then actually, so an interesting thing too that just popped in my head as we're sitting here thinking about this, right? Like, Anybody who's ever worked in, in fire is familiar with the piles, right? We all, we've all, we all know, we all seen piles. And one of the things that we're also doing with this project is we have written, the forest has written letters in support of those companies, those biomass companies who use that, you know, tertiary non-prime lumber for additional wood products, like, you know, like um, gasification for pellets for people's pellet stoves. So, actually removing that biomass from the forest without us having to burn it. So just, you know, building another industry, giving people jobs, you know, putting people to work in these rural communities without having to burn all those, those piles of logs, because now we have an industry that can support that biomass removal. So that's another component of all this, like, right. When they, was it the sixties or the seventies, when in a lot of these mountain towns, the sawmills started closing down because we, we changed how we were approaching timber um, no, they, you know, we, we, we are looking at increasing that, that production here in, in, in Tuolumne County and here on the Stanislaw because, because of the work that we're doing with, with thinning, with taking down, taking down those trees and getting them back to a stand density that our scientists have told us is appropriate. That's creating a product for those markets. And so whether it's, you know, the SPIs of the world, or it's some of these other still sort of nascent companies that are building um, those those secondary tertiary products um, off of that biomass. So there's there's a lot going on here. Um, we called it, you know, I was telling you at the beginning, we called it social and ecological resilience across the landscape, right? And so 
that actually takes a look at the totality of the community. It's not just the forest. It's not just building a resilient forest. It's building an entirely resilient ecosystem. And that means the communities that live with us. That means working with our community colleges to, to help them develop the programs, providing kind of like those, that exact wording and guidance so that when a, a student goes to their program, they have all the words in there that OPM is looking for when they go into USA Jobs to apply. <laughs> But building up those that capacity for for the masticator for the masticator you know owner the 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 heavy equipment operator getting those workforces so giving kids in Sonora in Longbarn in Twainheart a reason to stay in these rural communities right because we're working with the local community colleges to build those programs for them so they can get done and they've got. I mean, I don't know what somebody who runs a masticator makes, but I promise you it is not minimum wage. Um, they are doing, and especially once you get up to having a little bit of experience under your belt and you can run that masticator and well and effectively, like you're doing pretty okay for yourself. Um, and that's, that's me being a little glib and um, understated, right? Um, those, those, those operators are making damn good salaries and, and, they, they now have a reason to stay in, in these rural communities. And we've been talking about this, you know, social scientists have been talking about this forever, kind of the, the brain drain from rural communities to urban communities. Like I love urban communities. I lived in San Diego. I lived in San Francisco. I, you know, I lived in cities on the East, but there is nothing like my rural community of, of Sonora. Um, you know, I'm looking out my, 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 my back door right now out onto the, four acres of property that I have and the orchards that we're putting in and like this, I can't think of anywhere else I want to be. And more than that, I have twin four-year-old boys. I want them to have somewhere to go to a reason to stay here. You know, obviously it's their choice, but I want them to have the ability if they wanted to, to stay right here in Sonora, start their, raise their families and, and, and have a viable um, path. For, for becoming an adult and starting a family. Oh yeah. Well, that's one of the biggest lies that we've ever been told, especially my generation. Like I want to say it really hammered down on the millennial generation, right? Is like you have to go to college and get a degree, a master's right. degree at a minimum to be successful in life. And like, that's bullshit, man. I mean, you can run masticators. I know what masticator operators make. They make anywhere from like 25 oh. to 30 something dollars an hour. And that's entry level. Right. That's pretty fucking entry good. Entry level entry yeah. level. That's pretty good. Some of them have benefits, right? Yeah. That's a good living. And then it, it excels you into other areas that you can go into. You can start your own business. You can do this, that, the other, you can learn how to wrench on the damn things and fix them. I mean, I wouldn't want to be, you know, <laughs> it's like the old adage is like, why sell guns when you can sell bullets? <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. For <laughs> right? real. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a great way of, of, of phrasing it. But that's the thing though, is like, like taking a holistic approach to land management and then implementing it into like this forest resiliency plan that you're working on, you're active, an active participant in. I, the good thing about that is one, it is expands the communities. It gets people hired, gets jobs back into these rural communities, spreads out because you don't have enough people in that rural community to sustain the amount of 300,000 acres of whatever treatment you apply to the land. It's just right. a good practice to have an all hands, all lands uh, approach. It's a holistic right. top-down thing, right? It's yep. 
how do you scale that though? That's, that's a crazy thing. Like, yeah, we have all these, uh, these 21 landscapes that are target identifications for these fuels projects, but this needs to be replicated everywhere. Yeah. I mean, I, I, in my heart of hearts, I, I completely agree with you. And, and we're doing that, that exact work on the Stanislaw as well. 305,000 acres. The stand is, is 895,000 or 910, depending upon what, you know, allotment of a wilderness we've got this particular year. Right. So you're still only looking at about 25% of the forest that we're, we're talking about as being able to treat. Um, my, I've got, you know, interdisciplinary teams right now on the forest working on expanding that to, to the North and to the South of that existing landscape footprint, right? Like, this has to be done on the entire forest. It can't just be on the highway 108 corridor. If we're going to actually do this correctly, if we're going to walk our talk, we have to do this across the entire landscape. And so, you know, I, I'm with you. I want to see this done across all forests in the United States, but what I have, you know, even a modicum of, of input in is what's going on in my little slice of heaven in the Sierra Nevadas. And, and that's what I'm doing with everything that I have with my, you know, my whole heart. Um, I, I am invested in this. I am fighting the good fight to, to support, you know, my, my folks on the ground, my, not only my firefighters, but, you know, my, my botanists and my, my animal biologists and my hydrologists and all the people that make up this team that do this work so that you can get to a point where you have a NEPA decision done. So our firefighters can get to work um, doing, you know, doing that thinning work, doing that treatment work. So it, it really is all hands. Everybody in, in the forest service and in, in our communities has a role to play in this. And boy, howdy, just come talk to us. We will figure out a way to put you to work. Um, just we, evangelize we a bunch of people to yeah. put fire, or, you know, good land practice, good, good stewardship to the landscape. Exactly. Exactly. So that's what we're going for. Um, and, and, you know, and I see it when, when you start talking to, you walk around morning brief out there at fire camp, right. And you start talking to some of these 25 year old, 22 year old kids, right. This might be their, their first assignment, their first year on an engine, and, and you start hearing words like historical, part of history, um, radical change, the Forest Service has done a 180, you know, all these words that these kids are bandaging about and that look in that, their eye when they realize that the work that they're doing as part of this landscape project really is going to be written in the history books. You can just see the glint, you know, in their eye and they just light up and there's extra purpose in what they're doing. So, I mean, it's, it's amazing to see as, you know, as a, as the information officer, both for the IMT and for the, for the, for the forest broadly to see people um, doing this work and seeing it really resonate with them. We're, 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 you know, we started this May 25th. Um, and so not a whole lot's been going on, you know, across the, the Western United States. So for a lot of folks, they pulled up in here and they're like, oh, what the hell is this? I'm on our RX fire in, in on the Stanislaw in May. Probably pissed and not and getting the pay. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. I cannot go down that road. Um, All right. We'll just, uh, <laughs> the fire operators listening to this, they know what we mean. Or I mean, yeah. I mean, not um, you, me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, they, the, the, they, they get there and they do that very first morning brief and they see 
how close we are burning to the community of strawberry or how close we are to the 645, you know, special use cabins that we have out there in Pinecrest or how close we are. Like as, as the guys are tipping torches, you know, the, the family is sitting out in their back porch, taking pictures of them doing this work. Um, they like, it's, it's just amazing. I, I, I keep telling everybody, I know I sound like I'm just spewing hyperbole, but we are rewriting forest service history with this work that there 50 years from now, there will be books written about how 2022 or 2023, whatever number of historians end up settling upon was a inflection point for the forest service. And they went a different direction. Well, think about this too. I mean, this is very much a pilot program in my opinion, yes. right? This is a pilot is. program. This is a test. This is a big ambitious test across multiple forests, across the 21 landscapes and a varying, you know, degrees of acreage targets, right? The cool thing is, is that say in, you know, five years, we figure out a recipe. We figure out a, a, a system to get all this stuff down. We figure out our, how to cross our red tape boundaries. We figure out our efficiencies. We figure out how to make all this stuff happen. Now you have a plan and a, a vehicle to do it. And that could be replicated by whoever picks it up. I mean, it's going to yeah. be more complicated than that. So I'm just taking this reductionist kind of view toward, towards this uh, whole thing. But once you have that plan and what works and what doesn't, you can formulate a plan and replicate it across any forest. And now that has global effects. That's the big thing that I see about this is that if we figure out this recipe for success in treating landscapes at scale, we wouldn't have the situation that we would have in Canada. We wouldn't have the situation like Black Summer in Australia. We wouldn't have this, that, and the other. We can actually get ahead of the curve. Now, can we prevent all of it? Fuck no. That's that's dumb to say that. It's naive to say that. We have to have fire. We have to, we have to have fire on the landscape, but we realize we need to realize that we can have our say of when it happened or where it happens. Right. And the infrastructure at risk. So right. why aren't we doing this? This is, this is big implications, man. Yeah, no. So kind of feeding off of what you were just talking about, like one of the things that the team that came up with the, the initial Serral project and then the landscape project were really proud of and, and spent significant amount of time figuring out was how to make what we were doing modular, right? So that any forest system or any forest could pick this up. You don't have to do it exactly the way we did it. You don't, but here's your framework. Here's what a framework looks like to, you know, between the partner activation, the partnership tools that we have for the finances, all those things that we've talked about, right? Like it is a modular system so that any force could pick this up, implement it and, and start work, start, start, you know, I mean, obviously there's the, the NEPA process and all the details, right? The devil's in the details, but, but get to work, get to work on doing this work because the framework's been, been done for you. Oh yeah. And that's and another thing too is- great. Oh yeah. Well, that's another thing too, is like, if we are so hell bent as an agency that the forest service and the Bureau of land management, or well, I'm just gonna say department of interior in general, we're so hell bent on providing a workforce that is going to be year round. Well, here you go. This is one of those plans. And if I, I'm not one of those people that wants to be on a year round workforce fighting fire because I'll be burnt out and come that 26 and L right. Don't get me right. wrong. But for the people that are capable and willing to do that. Well, now we'll have fire resources. We'll have less fire severity, less intensity. The fires that we do uh, identify as a management strategy 
we can apply a management strategy too. We can identify those easier. It's, it's, it's huge, man. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it, and, and the thing, I think the, the important thing to remember, right. Is that we, it's a hundred years getting ourselves into this mess. It's, it's not going to be fixed tomorrow. And, and, and I'm with you, right. Everything you just said, that's the goal, right? Like that's where we're trying to get to that, that organization that, that, that is effective, that has all of those different components so that we are managing these landscapes, all of them, all the public lands in such a way as to a, we're not burning anybody out because we're not constantly running from one catastrophe to the, to, to the next we're, we're working at the pace and scale that people can have lives that people can go home. They can, they can do a, you know, an RX burn, you know, started at seven o'clock or wherever the test fires go and be home for dinner. Um, because we've done it in such a way that they're able to, we've, we've gotten the landscape back to a healthy point where they can. I mean, think about it, even if, uh, with actual wildfire starts, whether that be roadside or lightning or human caused or, you know, lightning caused or whatever, imagine if, uh, you have this system of employees, of, of people, contractors, stewards, forest service employees, uh, DOI employees all throughout the land doing all of this work throughout the winter. Well, guess what? Now you have systems of checks. So if a wildfire does start, it might run into another prescribed burn. It might run into a already established unit with line around it. I mean, right. It, it, like right. bingo, like lights, lights are on. Like this makes a lot of sense. Yeah, no, I mean, this is what we need to be doing. And like, like you said, how, how the entire um, United States isn't aware of, of this work being done kind of beyond me. I mean, obviously that's part of why, why, why you and I are having a conversation right now. Um, but yeah, this, this needs to be everywhere. This, this needs to be the future of how we are managing our forests so that all of us can, can continue to enjoy our public lands and will not have to worry. I mean, you know, gosh, wouldn't it be awesome if State Farm said, you know, hey, y'all did a lot of work. We're coming back. <laughs> right. Y'all have reduced the risk enough that we feel like we can come back into your state and and insure you again. Oh, yeah. And back to the insurance thing, too. If they pulled out of, out of California, what's stopping them from pulling out of Oregon, Washington, Idaho, shit, even Nevada? It's I, I, I'm. Yeah, I'm terrified to think it's just a matter of time. You know, pulling out of California was was the first big you know, shock to the system. Yeah. I, I, I'm afraid it's just a matter of time. It's only a matter of time, but if we do the work and pay and we front load the costs of that, I mean, we might be able yeah. to have a more sustainable future with insurance and all these other complications, these long-term scaled effects of wildfire. Cause it's not just, right. not just suppression costs. It's not the amount of no. aviation resources you throw at a fire. And we're getting to a point where we're so overstocked in forests or we have so much dead and down or beetle kill or whatever that you can throw all the resources in the world at it and it ain't going to stop. Look what happened to Greenville. Yeah. I hate to say and it. That's what we're trying to prevent. That's what we need to prevent. And this is, this is the yeah. solution. Scaling yeah. treatment way up. Brandon, I got to take a real quick second. My battery is about to die. I need to go grab my cord. I apologize for not doing that sooner. No, you're good then. Dude, anytime you want to come out in the stand, I will show you around. Uh, we might be down there actually uh, one of these days with uh, a yeah, burn bot. Just, just hit up my office and I'll, I'll, I'll take you out some of the burn units, kind of show you the work we're doing and 
and kind of get, you know, eyes on. Do you have the fly fish by any chance? What's that? Do you have the fly fish by any chance? Um, you, you know what you can up in the upper elevations and, and Tuolumne, you wouldn't want to do it right now. Flows are way too high, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I have this wise My ass. My boys are really into fishing. Um, we are just taking them to the lakes right now. I don't so. blame you. I had this wise ass yep. idea when I was going over to, uh, the Eldorado going to Placerville that I was going to stop on the American. Was that South Fork American? Yep. And, uh, yeah, that sounds right. Try and dip a couple lines, get a couple lines wet and, uh, fucking nope. <laughs> There's like houses <laughs> falling into the goddamn river. <laughs> yeah. No, that's exactly it. We, one of our, our burn units is, is down there by our strawberry barracks and the Stanislaw river flows right through there. And all of us, like, you know, we got done with morning brief and we walked down there and we're just looking at the flows and people like people who've been in this area forever. They're like, I haven't seen it run like this since like 1970 or the, you know, the great storm of, of 86, right. Or, or whatever, whatever historical thing they pulled out of, but like, man, it's insane. I was, I take my boys fishing out to, um, uh, Fraser flat area and it's got a nice, um, podium or what platform platform. That's what I'm looking for a platform that the boys like to, to fish off of. And I went down there with a good friend of mine, uh, the lead on my IMT and, uh, it's five feet underwater. Oh no shit. Yeah. There you yeah. Go. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I was talking to my wife that night. I'm like, well, okay, we are not taking the boys out to Fraser flat because <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's underwater right now. Oh man. Wow. Well, hey. yeah. All right. Let's see. All right. I am ready to get back whenever you are, man. All right. Let's clap back in. Uh, let's see. I, that pretty much covers all the questions that I was going to ask. So we can just like bullshit or whatever. Um, Sure. Unless you got some other stuff too. Some like, um, anything else? That I think we hit all the high points. I mean, okay. Have we, have we, have we made the case in your opinion? I think we have to some degree. Is there something that we're missing though? I could be a little bit more compelling on or a, a detail that we forgot to mention to, I mean, given, given your audience, like, right. Like, 90% of your people are going to instantly get this. <laughs> like they're going to be like, yeah, no, duh. Why are we doing this? It's, it continues to be the challenge that I have is how to reach those folks that either aren't, you know, immersed in fire as an operator of some sort or live in a community. How, like we were talking about earlier, right? How do you reach those folks that live in Los Angeles? How do you reach those folks that live in Benicia and in San Francisco and, I don't need to convince anybody in Reading that this work is important. They get it, right? I need to convince people in, in, in Vallejo, <laughs> high regional office looking at you, um, that this work is important. <laughs> Honestly, man, just speak from the heart. That's how you're yeah. going to have the most uh, impact, I think, is you can't fake authenticity. You, you can't, dude. No, and you've got I, a lot of passion agree. about this. You've got a lot of passion about this subject. So, I mean, if you want to go into that, let's, we can have that messaging and then we just go from there. All right, let's do it. Yeah. It's a hard thing, man. It's like the, the messaging too. Cause a lot of people that are general public, say general public that like picks up on this episode and is listening to this in like LA or San Benito or wherever that's not really fire impacted. They just see like the smoke and stuff. Like how do we really start getting to the preach a good word about effective stewardship, the importance of 
fire on the landscape. I mean, shit, even, even like, uh, like fire for resource benefit, right. Using right. wildfires that are doing their thing naturally and it's not destructive. Like how do we like really hammer down on the importance of this? So we don't have that generational damage and all this other stuff, these all the way down the line catastrophes from wildfire. I mean, I think that's a great question. And I think that's, that, that's the challenge, right? That, that, that is the challenge that all of us are facing. And like, the only thing I, you know, I can think of to do is, you know, like we were talking about earlier, I, I, I plan on dying here. Right. I, I have a plot picked out and, and on my back 40, my, my wife's got a plot next to me and this is where I call home. I want my, my twin boys to, to, to be able to, to, to grow up and live here and enjoy this place. And I'm going to do everything in my power to protect this. And I want when, 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 when my friends, right. Who don't have a lot of experience, um, with, with the wildland interface, right. With coming with dispersed camping, with, with hanging out at Pinecrest Lake, whatever my friends from San Francisco or the Oakland area or, or El Sobrante, um, I'm thinking of a particular friend at the moment. Um, I, I, I want them to, to understand that there is a significant amount of work being done to fucking save this place, right? To one of the reasons that this, this, this fire shed or this landscape got picked is because we're one of the last areas of Sierra Nevada to not have seen a significant wildfire in the last hundred years. Like you do not understand what you're looking at, right? You are looking at that, 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 that natural beauty that, that hasn't been impacted yet. And we want to keep it that way. We, we want it to stay that way. We want it to, to be here for, <clears throat> you know, the Iroquois nation have this whole idea of doing something for seven generations, right? Doing it for the benefit of seven generations, I, I want to take this out for a hundred generations. I want this landscape to, to be here today, tomorrow for, for as long as the, the earth will continue spinning around this sun. So, you know, I would, I would just, I would beseech all those folks who don't live in this interface, who come up here, you know, on Memorial day weekend or, you know, whatever, when you, whenever you come up here to recreate in the forest, understand <clears throat> we've got a lot of work to do. We've got a lot of catching up to do, and it's not going to be, it's not going to be brilliant, right? You're going to have some smoke on your, on your, on your rec, on your holiday weekend. You're going to see, you know, the, the, the engines and the, all the different apparatus on the already crowded roadway. It, it took us a hundred years to get here. It's going to take us some time and a lot of work to, to get it back to a state where, it, it's where we need it to be. So bear with us, um, have a little bit of understanding and, and, and take the time to learn about fire ecology, about fire dependent ecosystems, about, about the history of the Sierra Nevada, um, and, you know, and, and the Western, and, you know, which, whichever landscape you happen to call home, right. Or you, you recreate in, take the time to get a, learn a little bit about the ecological history of, of that place you go to. And especially if you live in the Western United States, fire is inextricably linked to those landscapes, inextricably linked. I would we got go a lot of work to do to get it back. Say I, would that even, again. I would even go farther to say that fire is inex, inex, inexorably connected to humans 
period. Yeah. I mean, we would not, we yeah. would have not have evolved as a species that we are today without fire and learning how to harness it. It's as elemental as water. It's as elemental as wind. It is a part of this. And I mean, that, that's it. Um, we, we have all got to learn how to thrive with fire, you know, not just live, not just walk, but actually thrive because this is part of our ecosystem. This is part of our landscape. And we, we've got to get it back to a place where the land can take it the way it used to take it in that healthy, low intensity, you know, open up the giant sequoia cones um, way that it used to, or we're not, or we're, we're going to see the giant sequoias go away because there's nothing to replace them. We're going to see, you know, all of our, our incense cedars and our redwoods and all those trees that are dependent on fire in some way, shape or form. Hell, just for soil health, right? The the carbon that's that's added back into the into the soil um from 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 fire in the form of biochar so i mean i would just i would just ask people that you know this messaging isn't perfect you know i i can't i i have to keep reminding myself that that fire is a blunt tool and and as such it's not an easy message so take that time i would say to to folks and and, and learn about your ecosystems and you know what, go, go talk to anybody, anybody, any force that is working on one of these landscapes. And I promise you, they will talk your ear off, um, about, about this work. So yeah, just, just, just let us get some work and, and we're, we're doing our best to make sure that California and the entire, all of our public lands remain the treasure that they are. hundred percent, man. I guess I, <sighs> One thing I, I kind of do want to ask you too is like, how do we get people over the fear factor of fire? Because I mean, look at the knee jerk reactions, like look at Hemet's Peak, the stuff that happened in uh, the the desert Southwest region three, like all of these, I mean, some of them were escaped wild or escaped prescribed fires, but that's the thing. Right. It was going to either happen by a lightning strike or it was going to happen by, you know, an abandoned campfire that's the thing right. I think that people don't realize and they're just scared shitless about this catastrophic effect that these wildfires do have. And yeah, the, the risk element is going to be there, but it's going to be no different than, you know, driving your car. You can get in a car accident. You could equally as much step off the curb and get plowed by a bus, man. Sometimes shit happens. So how do we get right. people over the fear factor of wildfire or planned fire in cultural fire, whatever? Right, right. Whatever, whatever the descriptor is that we're using. I think, you know, the truth of the matter is, is you are never going to be able to completely remove risk from the equation. That's, that's just not possible. You know, our, um, our folks, I mean, number one, I don't think people realize the, the level of expertise that one has to have to be a, a burn boss type one. It's not right. Or hell, even a burn boss type two, the amount of qualifications and training and, and everything else that you had to go through to get to that level, it's not like we're just some clowns out there tipping torches, throwing fire wherever we want to. There is a level of professionalism, of expertise, of, of knowledge, not only knowledge of your fire, but so many of my firefighters, of my fire crews, um, you know, the my burn bosses, the folks writing the plans, they've been on this landscape all their life. They've walked every inch of this landscape. So you know, they, they, they know what the wind is going to do at 1600 and they know what it's going to do at zero six. Um, you know, they know, you know, Oh, hell's bells. It's, it's, it's June, you know, and this is going on. 
this is going to happen because they've been here. Um, they've seen it. We, the bottom line is we have all as a, as a culture have got to find some way of getting a little bit comfortable with a little bit of risk because there's a risk in doing something and there's a risk in doing nothing, right? We can continue just doing what we've been doing, leaving it alone, letting the, the forest continue to overgrow, you know, and, 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 and suffer the consequences. Well, we've seen what that looks like. We have examples to point to of what that looks like. So maybe we should try a different um, approach that too comes with those levels of risk, but we're doing everything in our power to mitigate them as much as possible. And it would be negligent on my part to say that we could get the risk down to zero. Just not true, not happening. Um, there are going to be things that happen and it's terrible. I wouldn't want that on anybody. Um, and I don't know how to get around it, right? I don't, I don't think any of us know how to get around it. There is going to be shit happening. We are doing everything in our power to mitigate that as much as possible. But we know what happens when we leave it alone. We know. We've seen that. We've got the proof. We've got the empirical data on that. Now we need to try a different way. Try a different set of risk factors. 100%, man. And like you said, there's, I think there's there's risk in like putting fire to the ground and tipping torch and utilizing fire like natural starts for resource advantage or uh, ecological benefit. Right. And sometimes these things get away from us and that's just a part of the game. Right. Yeah. However, if we don't take those risks now, I think the greater risk is going to be in the future. Like we're going to have other Dixie fires. We're going to have other August complex. We're going to have other, you know, just point to any, major fire. Like when you're having problems with a million plus acres of fire, that's not good. And granted, right. don't get me wrong. This is not the first time over the course of a fire regime of fire history that we've had, you know, million plus acre burns. It's just nature doing its thing. It was going to happen. Now, how do we not necessarily speed it up, but not combat nature, but work with it? Yeah. You work said, in balance with it. Yeah. I mean, look at the big burn of 1910, 3 million acres in three days. Holy three days. shit. Yeah. Holy fuck. God, yeah. can you even imagine being on that line? Good Lord. But that's the thing that people know. No one ever realizes that that, that will happen again. Hopefully yeah. it doesn't. Hopefully we can, you know, assist mother nature in taking care of herself. Yeah. I would love to do that. Hold her hand. Not, not like pull her around in every direction necessarily, but Hey, Oh, you want to burn here? Cool. Let's do it. Right. I'll help you. Well, I mean, and I feel like that's where I start to get just a little bit philosophical because I feel like for me anyway, part of the problem is, is that we as human beings have removed ourselves intellectually from, you know, seeing ourselves as part of the system, right? And like in some way, shape where we're kind of above it or next to it or, or whatever, like the sooner we realize that we're all part of the system and we should be working in harmony with it to take care of it, to be those stewards that, you know, the land management agencies were established to be, then we're going to start getting back on the right track. Um, people talk about going into the woods, you know, um, going into nature. We, we are all part of nature just by our existence. If we start seeing ourselves that way. I think maybe we can start looking at our landscapes and our surroundings a little bit differently and, and actually start working to care for it a little bit more. 
Um, this is a problem for all of us to, that we have to address. Yeah. And that's a tall order, especially for the yeah. people that are far removed from nature or they think they are <laughs> yet. Right. A hurricane still mother nature, an asteroid, like the literal birth of the universe. That's still nature, right? Exactly. Exactly. All you part know, of and, 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 and that park that you're walking on, you know, on your way to get your, your cup of coffee, you know, in the middle of downtown, that's nature too. Um, it's, it's there, it's around you. And again, that goes back to that, that conversation that we were talking about. Like, if you appreciate that and you want to see the real deal, you got to let us save it. <laughs> you you, you got to let us do that work. Um, so that you, you, when, you know, when you're, when you had enough of the, of the rat race and the daily grind and you want to just come out to the forest and pitch a tent and get away from everybody, turn off the cell phones. You got to let us do this work or there's not going to be anything here for you to come to. Oh yeah. And that another thing too, I mean, it's like, it's not just the work the forest service is doing. It's, it's all the collaborators, it's the industry experts, it's the ologists, it's the, the people that have a chunk of our ranch land that's grazing allotment. You know, it's, it's all of it. it. It's, it's not, there's no one silver bullet, but if we were to like take all of these and put them to work, then right. we have something that we can scale. Yep. Yeah, no, you know, we, we, we all like the, the idea of a silver bullet and, you, and you're absolutely right. It, it just doesn't exist. No matter the problem, it just doesn't exist. It's going to take everything that we've got. It's probably going to take some things that, you know, we don't even know about yet, you know, technologies that don't exist yet. You know, I mean, hell, I love the fact that we're using drones more, and, you know, UAS systems more and more in, in these operations and whether that's just mapping the fire or actually dropping the balls, you know, or whatever. Um, especially in some of our, you know, our higher elevations and some of our, our steeper inclines. Places like, you don't want to commit like, can people. Can you imagine using a drone 10 years ago or 15 years ago on a fire? Yeah, we've come a long way in a lot of things and, I, and we will continue to. So, you know, I, I, I hope we remain open to, to, to new technologies and to new, you know, I don't think we're going to chat GPT our way out of this one, but <laughs> hopefully there are some tools out there that, that will help us get this work done. Yeah. Well, that's another thing too. I mean, I, I, I've seen like the wildfire, I'm not going to say the wildfire industrial complex, but it is kind of a wildfire industrial complex. Right. And you and I are very much a part of that. Right. Yeah. Uh, even, even the podcast is not removed from that. It's very well integrated into that. Right. Now I see a lot of companies out there with the headline text or a lot of even agencies out there with the headline text or a news press release, whatever. And they're saying, we want to stop wildfires. Why? Yeah. Why? Why are we hanging our hats on this lofty goal when it's an unnecessary and a goal that's going to get us back to the first problem that we're having now? Yeah. Yeah. Why stop it, man? And that's, I mean, it, it goes back to that getting people comfortable with risk, right? It goes back to that idea of, of if you have a lightning fire somewhere out there, we, we've got one right now in the forest that, you know, lightning struck a tree. I mean, the stars aligned on this one because it actually went into a predefined burn unit, you know, something we'd already done all the NEPA work on. And we are managing that where it's a, a prescribed natural fire. And we're managing that because that's how mother nature takes care of herself, right? That's how she sends, like you said, that, you know, the forest trash collectors fire come in and, and clean up the forest floor. And we have to be able to utilize those tools when they happen to us. Um, you know, there's only so much work that, you know, uh, every, 
every every um, line digger out there, you know, carrying a torch is capable of doing. So we've got to take advantage of those opportunities too when we have a lightning strike, especially when you know it's it's somewhere away from population centers where we have all the resources available to us when we have when the conditions are right. Right. I mean. One of the things that we we talk about and we and we think about, especially when we're doing this sort of work, is every every single fire, if you really think about it, is a managed fire, right? It has a plan. It has trigger points of when we're going to execute a suppression strategy versus a managed for resource benefit strategy, or they all have that trigger point. Going back to those fire professionals, those folks in the background that you don't see on the fire line that are doing all that planning, right? All the umpteen million acronym systems that all the different land management agencies have, WUFTIS and IROC and, and, and everything else that helps us make those decisions. Um, but, but the bottom line, what it really, really gets to is we've got to take advantage of those opportunities as well to, again, get that fire back on the ground that this ecosystem has become, it, it, that is dependent upon it. Do what we can do, do our part. But when Mother Nature throws us a, you know, when she throws us a bone, we got to use it. We, we, we got to run with it. Oh, absolutely, man. And, you know, it's, it's no surprise that if you have a catastrophic wildfire, that if there happens to be an RX unit on that wildfire, well, I mean, is that checking the box? I mean, is that mission accomplished? Everybody can go home, wash their hands and like, hey, we don't have to treat this because it's been yeah. burnt in a wildfire. And that's the thing I think that we need to be honest with ourselves from a management perspective, right? Is like, is that the goal? Was that the intended outcome of our prescribed fire to have it just nuked off and then check a box? No, that's not the goal, man. So when we get I mean, you're absolutely right. You know, and that's why we work with our teams, right? That's why, that's why we have our hydrologists and our soil scientists and our botanists out there when we're doing it right. Again, it's, it's resource benefit, right? Not resource destruction, 100%. not resource annihilation, it's resource benefit. And that's all of it. That's in increasing the, the, the health of the soil. I mean, how many of our soil people get, get kind of geeky on soils for just a minute, right? But you want soil that has really good porosity so that it can take the little bit of rain that we give it and properly sink it and, and nourish those, those plants. And man, there's a whole world underneath our feet that we haven't even like literally scratched the surface of understanding, right? When you start talking about the mycorrhizal layer, when you start talking about the, the soil layers and all the, the, the ecosystems that live down there that contribute to a healthy ecosystem, it, we got to do it right. We, we got to do it in such a way that takes care of the top and the bottom, the, you know, what we see and what we don't see. Um, and that's, that's what we, we've got to do if we're truly doing this for resource benefit. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it wasn't until recent history when, um, especially with like the work Paul Stamets is doing, I mean, trees are literally using mushroom networks, mycorrhizal layers to fucking talk to each other and share yep. nutrients and resources. Yeah. That's I, I crazy. Go ahead. Say that again. There, uh, the, the work that Paul Stamets is doing, he's a mycologist and he's, uh, he's, there's actual like legitimate science out there mm -hmm. saying that, uh, these forest ecosystems are using mycorrhizal layers, micro microbiomes or sorry, mycelium layers to communicate with each other. Like trees are yeah. talking to each other and sharing yeah. resources. That's insane. Oh, so I can't remember her name too, but there was a scientist up in BC. Um, 
she did a book called the the mother tree and it was about oaks and it, it was the same thing right it's that same um oaks and different conifers but how they use the mycorrhizal layers to not only talk to each other but like intelligently talk to each other tell each other how to survive a pest a certain pest how to you know what you need to do if a wildfire right you know all the it gave us survival strategies. Like there's so much more communication going on in these ecosystems than any of us are aware. I mean, hell's bells, man. Orcas have figured out how to knock over um, boats because they're tired of our shit. Um, These systems talk to each other, right? Even if we don't acknowledge it. And if we don't get our shit straight, they might start having some scary conversations about us. That, that kind of like, you know, if I, if I start going down my dystopian science fiction, you know, reality worlds here and everything, like all of a sudden we've got the ends rising up and saying, we've had enough of your shit humans. We're done with you. Right. You know, I mean, just go full on fantasy, but, but, but they are, all of these things are in communications. And the fact that we haven't figured it out yet doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Only damn humans could have such hubris. Absolutely. I mean, we walk through the forest and we're like, oh, look, it's a tree. Yeah. It's a fucking tree. Cool. Right. We don't know. We're, we're, we're completely unconscious and unable to perceive a lot of the stuff that plays into the whole health and ecosystem and longevity of that tree. I mean, I guarantee you, if you go on some of these forests with these trees, these, these, these things that are older than written history in some places, they could tell, imagine the stories they could tell. Oh man, we've got on the Stanislaw, We've got a juniper tree um, that as near as anybody can tell is the oldest juniper tree in the world. And their best guess is it's between 3000 and 7,000 years old. If you believe in Christ, that tree was around during the time of Christ. Like let that sink in. That tree was a sapling break when, when, when Jesus Christ was walking the earth, if, if that's, if that's your view, but either way, 7,000 years old? Holy shit. Jesus. God, that's what we're fighting for. That's what we're trying to protect, right? That all of those systems, not only our communities, but there's only one Bennett Juniper in the world. I kind of want it to be around for another 7,000 years, should it be so inclined. You know, the tree's got to do what the tree's got to do, right? There's all these other things that I have no control over, but damn it. If this tree wants to live for another 7,000 years, I want to do everything in my power to make sure it can. Absolutely. And that's why we need to, like you said it the best right there, man, we need to harmonize with nature and be a part of it, kind of reconnect yeah. with it instead of trying to fist fight it. <laughs> right. Right. What are we doing, man? <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a fool's gambit and it's a losing game, right? It's, it's, it's a race to the bottom. And I used to do a lot of scuba diving and I would take a lot of, um, young divers in and, um, you know, you'd have a pretty shitty wave or, you know, set that you try to get out to and everything. And like, they want, you know, young diver wants to go running in. I'm like, dude, you don't understand. I don't care who you are. Nature always wins. Nature always wins. You cannot beat her. You cannot, you might, you might get around for a little while. You might think you're slick. You know, you might get over on her a few, few millennia or a few generations, but in the end, nature always wins. And whether that's a wave taking you under or, or whatever, whatever ends up happening to, to keep things in balance, nature always wins. 
but that's the thing too. Nature always wins. So if she chooses to take a revolt against us with it being fire or disease or whatever, it doesn't matter. I mean, a gamma ray could burst could come out of, you know, somewhere in Proxima Centauri and just wipe us all out. Boom. Right. Congratulations. Right. The earth has become a microwave now. That's what you live right. on. Right. It doesn't matter Damn. though. That's the thing though. I think if I, uh, we develop and foster that relationship with nature and we don't necessarily have to make her fight back. That's, that's yeah. saying something it's going to provide longevity for the human species, the human race, the human experience. And we had a finite time on this earth. There's no two ways around that. And the earth is probably going to be a long around a lot longer than humanity will, but I want to enjoy the fucking place while I still have it. While I'm still upright and breathing. And I want my grandkids to be able to same, you know, that. I want my great grandkids to be able to, you know, it's like, that's one of the, one of kind of my guiding principles is like, a. I'm paraphrasing basically, but you know, the, the man who plants a tree whose shade he'll never sit under is starting to figure out life. That's a good one. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 and that's exactly it, right? Do the work that you're not going to benefit from. 100%. Do the work that future generations are going to benefit from. Most of us, you know, I think I'm thinking about my, um, right now I'm thinking about some of my, uh, civil culturists that are out doing replanting work out there on the rim fire they'll never see the, 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 the culmination of that, right. They'll never see that, that stand fully returned to what it was. Their great grandkids might, and yet they're still out there. They're planting, you know, 1.7 million trees a year and they're, they're doing that work. And like, we need more people like that, right. Doing the work that you will not get any benefit from, <laughs> right. Get back, get back in harmony. Um, we got to take care of it. And we got to leave a little bit better for our future generations. Absolutely, man. So what does the future of the stand look like? The stand and slot national forest look, look like, man. That's a, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> let me put on my, uh, my all seeing glasses here and look into my crystal ball. What, what does it look like? What, what does the stand look like? The stand 10 years from now, 20 years from now, it looks like an ecosystem that's back in balance with the way it should have been. It looks like driving up highway 108 and, you know, right now our project is only on the West side of the 108. It's, and we're working on coming over to the West side of it, but driving up that 108 and every acre that belongs to the forest. And, and hopefully if we're doing it right, as well as our private land partners properly thinned, the ground looks healthy. You know, you can see through the line of sight through the forest that we have a fire and then we, we know it's going to be a low intensity fire. Um, and so we're going to let it burn. We're going to let it do what it needs to do. We're going to throw some resources out there, right. To make sure it doesn't go places we don't want it to go. But by and large, we're going to trust mother nature to do what she needs to do to take care of this with the groundwork that we've already put down from her. And I think more importantly for me, it means that the people in Sonora in Twain Heart in strawberry in Pinecrest don't have to sleep with a bag packed by their bed in August. Boom. Right there, dude. That's that right there. That says everything hundred percent. And I'd love to see that future for just replicate that, that outcome everywhere, everywhere. There's a wild interface everywhere. There's like a, a historic lodging community or historic hunt camp. It doesn't matter. Just replicate that, man. Yep. That's it, man. Oh, man. That's what we're trying to do. 
we'll keep fighting the, the good fight, man. Cause, uh, this is, this is one of those things that's going to be a paradigm shift as far as the way we perceive fire, especially from a management side of things. I know that the forest service is a huge, uh, part of this and it wouldn't probably have happened unless it was for a forest like yours willing to take on this, this humongous challenge. I mean, 300,000 acres is a lot, but there's other forests out there with like 3.5 million acres of targeted millions. lands, millions. Yeah. That's a lot, man. Yeah. But I think a, a lot of lessons learned will come out of this and also be replicate. You can replicate that and apply it to a lot of other situations. Like it's no silver bullet for this, but if you get the framework, your efficiencies go up and then you can manage the land. You can work with nature. Yep. Hell that's yeah. it, brother. That's, that's all we can do, right? Give ourselves the best chance. No guarantees, but give ourselves the best chance. We need to keep doing that. So. So. anyways man coming to the end of the show i just always give the opportunity to uh give you in well, i always give the opportunity for you to give a shout out to some homies heroes mentors who do you got for us man yeah so um first i want to throw um a shout out to my friends at laramie county fire district number five out there in pine bluffs wyoming where i got my start in in fire um doing doing wildland and structure and then to my good friends out there in um, mountain ranch at central calaveras fire um, where I, up until the time that I moved out here to Sonora, I was working as a, a volunteer, um, on that fire department, you know, volunteer fire departments are kind of the lifeblood of these rural communities. So yeah, the, the work that's being done by those, those folks who are really committed to that department is amazing. And the, the community of mountain ranch is lucky to have them. Hell yeah, man. Well, Ben. Thank you for being on the show, dude. And thank you so much for trying to change that paradigm shift in the way we look at fire. And I think this, this overall message of this episode should be a real eye opener for a lot of communities out there. Now, the communities, like you said, in the Wui and like these mountain towns, they get it. The fire operators, right. they get it. But for those people that are listening to this that are in downtown LA, New York City, Washington, DC, wherever you are in the world, this right here is going to be one of those things that we need to do. We need to buckle up as a, as a human race and work with nature. hundred percent. You want to solve catastrophic wildfire? Well, boom, work with it. That's it. Damn, dude. That is it, man. Love oh. it, dude. Hey, thanks, Brandon. I appreciate so much for the opportunity to come out here and talk to you, man. Thank you for being on the show, man. And appreciate the hell out of right, what bro. you're doing. We'll get you back on see uh, some of your lessons learned and successes. And yeah, we'll get you back on, man. All right. That sounds good, man. Till then I'll talk to you guys. Take care and I'll talk to you soon, brother. Take care guys. All right. Bye. And boom, there we go, ladies and gentlemen. Another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast is in the books with my good friend, Ben Consul. Ben, dude, thank you so much for uh, being on the show and sharing your expertise and also sharing this uh, implementation plan for these insane amount of acreage that needs to be treated. Yeah. And uh, I agree with you, man. It's it's about time. It's high time that we have uh, started really looking at the forest health from a holistic part, right? From like a holistic point of view, because there's way too much overstocking. There's we've removed fire for from the environment from the most part, for the most part. And something needs to be done because this overstocking and all this other stuff is just creating a disease infested, bug infested, water depleted landscape. And it sucks. I mean, when are we going to go back to the days of uh, putting more fire on the land and treating our and managing our lands appropriately? 
kind of makes you wonder. So I'm really happy that the Stanislaus is pushing for these programs and actually putting boots to the ground to actually clean up the landscapes, especially if you've seen the beetle kill from the Stan and the Sierra and the Tahoe. Oh man, it's brutal. So let's get rid of that shit and make it healthy again. But yeah. Uh, thank you for being on the show, dude. And uh, yeah, I, I can't wait to see what this whole thing turns out to be. It's going to be awesome. As for the rest of you, I hope everybody's doing good and I hope that everybody's keeping their heads on their shoulders. I know it's been a slow season, especially off to the uh, start of the season, but yeah, I don't think it's going to be ending any time really soon unless we get like some catastrophic rains that uh, are pushing up there. Uh, but geez, man, the <laughs> it's it's been slow and the fires that haven't been happening have been pretty damn devastating, but there's just not a lot of them. We'll see what happens. We got plenty of season left to go. And I hope that everybody doesn't go too uh, stern crazy and get too barn sour sitting around. So keep your head in the swivel. Special shout out to our sponsors. We've got Mystery Ranch, purveyors of the finest damn packs in the fire game. Go over to www.mysteryranch.com and uh, check out the uh, Mystery Ranch Backbone series while you're at it. There's a bunch of money up for grabs for professional development and you can be a part of that. We also got Hotshot Brewery, creators of the finest caffeinated beverages in the world, which would be coffee, obviously. So it's kick-ass coffee for a kick-ass cause. Go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com and check it out. We've got the ass movement. My boy Booze over there is spreading the good word about burying your turds in the uh, forested and public lands. So don't be a tool. Bury your stools. <laughs> Go over to www firewild.com and check out the ass movement and last but not least we have the smoky generation aka the american wildfire experience bethany you have kick-ass organization over there keep it up go over to www.wildfireexperience.org and check it out y'all know the drill stay safe stay savage peace